Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. It's uh, Roxanne Durhaj of Authentic Living with Roxanne. Thanks again for tuning in. Uh, this week, I have a, I would say, a, a guest that I feel comfortable talking about because I've spent a lot of time in his industry. Uh, this is Bernie Dimes. So Bernie is the CEO of Perspectives, an employee assistance program. And we'll talk a little bit about what that is. So Bernie, thanks so much for coming in and uh, talking to us today. Thank you very much for having me. And I'm especially... Uh interested in doing this because this is a big month, September, and actually Friday tomorrow, I believe is the 10th, right, is uh, World Suicide uh, Prevention Day. So this is Suicide Prevention Month. No more apt than to talk about employee assistance programs and behavioral health and mental wellness in the um, uh, in the uh, in workplace. So I know a lot of companies out there, uh, you know, I know you've been in the industry and like I um, was in the industry starting back in, oh goodness, uh, 1994. That's how long I've been involved. So the Employee Assistance Program got started by, you know, psychologists um, that recognized that employees bring themselves to work. And I now know, and we can talk about this openly because for years we would talk about people leaving their personal selves at home. Um, you know, kind of they hit the corporate door and whatever door they go in and they, you know, there's, you know, work rocks in and home rocks in and all those things. And we, we know today, based on what we've been through, that that is not, that's in fact not the case. It never has been. So, Bertie, let's talk a little bit about what we know and we've lived in in a world about mental well-being and what's been happening out here um, in the last two years that's making people really I'm going to say listen with a different ear to mental health. I think that if there's anything good about the pandemic, it's that mental health has come to the fore. It's that leaders and organizations have begun to realize, and I think they've always seen it, but I think they've become very uh, acutely aware of the connection between mental wellness and performance. And, you know, you said it before, it would have been great, Roxanne, if, we could kind of come into work, open our locker, just like we put our clothes on, put our work clothes on, and then go to work. And at the end of the day, put that and do that with our emotions and our, our, our feelings. We can't do that. We've never, as you said, been able to do that. We, we bring to work what happened to our, our child or our significant other. We bring to work a diagnosis we got from our physician. We bring to work all kinds of things and we bring home from work all kinds of things. So that separation, no matter how much we focus on workplace uh, and work-life uh, balance is always gonna be a struggle for people. In this last almost two years now, um, it's really come to the fore more because people are struggling not just with the normal things that they normally would have to deal with, but now they're struggling with a few extra issues, right? They're struggling with work remotely. You know, um, they're struggling with trying to figure out how to deal with their compatriots in these little boxes on Zoom versus going into the work, uh, in, into the lunchroom, going to the cooler and having conversations. 
leaders are struggling with culture, how to maintain a culture and, and closeness and some kind of sense of intimacy that's good for business as well, um, remotely. Um, so all of those things are happening aside from the fact that people are now uh, wearing many more hats. So I'm working at home and luckily I'm old, uh, so I don't have young children, but I really, my literally my hat goes off to these young parents who now are working from home, two career couples, they now are uh, housekeepers. They now are educators and tutors. They now are dealing with their spouses in a way or their partners in a way that they've never been had to do that before. And all of that stuff is happening in the context of having to get their work done. So people, their mental health issues are coming to the fore. And I think we're also beginning to train leaders and supervisors on how to use this new medium to stay in touch with how people are doing emotionally so that they can be engaged at work. I know that's a big answer uh, and a long-winded answer. I could give you tons more uh, and that's not ending. It's gonna get more complicated. One last thing I will say, the world of work as we've known it has changed forever. People keep talking about the new normal. I'm not sure what that means I don't think there's ever gonna be a new normal other than the new abnormal. Um, we're gonna see resurgences as we are right now. We're gonna see all kinds of issues around diversity, equity, and inclusion that have really risen to the fore. And all of those things are gonna take those boundaries between work and home and even blur them more. And so if we're thinking about retention if we're thinking about recruitment, we've got to be thinking about creating um, a workplace that's safe, that's comfortable, that's transparent, where people can come to work and talk about how they're doing without being chastised for, without feeling ashamed, which is the other thing about mental health. It has come out of the closet, if you will, and that's a good thing. So let's talk a little bit about, because I think you and I live in this world and have lived in this world as practitioners and as business people, there's a continuum, right? There's a continuum. We always talk, I, you know, I always use this example, Bernie, that I go to my doctor's office. I've got an 11 o'clock. I sit there for 45 minutes that my name's going to be called with 30 other people that's on a roster. And we all know we're in there for something physical, potentially, maybe psychological, maybe emotional, but we sit there and we're okay with that, that we can sit in this work, this waiting room. But with our kind of concept of that anything emotional, because, you know, about confidentiality, which is a cornerstone of what, what your business is around EAP, a lot of times people mix up the concept of that it's okay to be emotionally well, because they're thinking that everything, um, if, I, if I'm having a tough day because I've separated, I have to go see this cloak and dagger person somewhere um, and I'm never supposed to talk about it, but then you're telling me to come to work. And if I'm having an issue because I just went through a separation that I'm supposed to you know, be okay with talking about it. So I think there's a bit of confusion out there sometimes. So I'm just wondering if you can kind of clarify that for say the average person or the person, the leadership teams that are listening to this, this podcast today. So I'm gonna share a fantasy, don't get too excited. This is my fantasy about where the world hopefully will end up. When we go into our um, 
CEO's office or our manager's office because we've been diagnosed, God forbid, with cancer or cardiovascular issues. We don't think twice about it. I mean, we're a little nervous about it, but we're not ashamed of it. We bring it up and usually our managers or leaders are sensitive to it. They listen to us, they're, they're, they're concerned about us, and then they help us sort of navigate through it. My fantasy is that someday people can walk into their office of their CEO or their supervisor and say, you know what, I'm struggling with bipolar depression. I, it really affects me. I'm, I'm not using this as an excuse, just like I'm not using my cancer as an excuse. I want to be here at work, but I just want to let you know that. And then rather than CEOs being embarrassed, ashamed, scared, judgmental in a negative way, they'll treat it the same way as they do with cardiovascular or, or cancer. And, and I think the way to get there is what's really important. The way to get there is to open it up and educate leaders that it's okay, that mental health and mental wellness is no different than physical health or physical wellness, that we can help people by feeling comfortable sharing that, not feeling ashamed because you know the reality is if, if you've got a, a heart problem and you don't go to a doctor, it's going to get worse. You're going to cost the organization. I'm going to talk about this in a really unfeeling way. You're going to cost the organization a lot more money than if you get help and come back to work. Well, the same thing is true in spades when you're talking about behavioral health too. So I think we need to train leaders that it, on how to have those conversations. So there's, there's a new concept new within the last five or 10 years that we provide to our EAPs, and I think a lot of these top-tier EAPs are beginning to offer it, and that's, that's this psychological or mental health first aid. It's a wonderful tool. It really starts with leadership and brings it all the way down to all employees, and the job is to demystify, um, to, to make it okay to begin to talk about it, and it helps you to know what it is, to identify things, not trying to train people to be therapists, but what are the things you listen for to know that people might be having trouble? And then how to have the conversation. Like, you know, you don't say, well, get your act together. I don't want to hear about it. Or, you know, isn't there a drug for this? That's not the kind of thing you say. How do you train people to do that? The more that's happening, the more leadership gets on board and the more so do people. There was a an internal employee assistance program many years. I was lucky enough to know the, the gentleman that ran it at DuPont. And they had a, prob, a, a, a place called ICU, right? And it was, you know, a play on words, but it was ICU. And what it was, it was a training for all employees to be able to take a look at their friend next door or in the next carol or in the next office or at the water cooler and say, hey, you know, lately you've been looking a little down or under the weather. How are you doing? Everything okay? That interest makes a huge difference in terms of whether or not people feel comfortable and go get help. So long-winded answer to your question, Roxanne, is I think we need to be training managers and leaders. I should start with leaders and managers. It is top down on how to make it okay. And, and one way to do that, the most effective organizations we've worked with, and I've, I've read studies about this, is where leaders feel comfortable enough and in a, in, a, in a comfortable way and not in a boundaryless way to share some of their experiences with mental health and the help they've gotten. It just opens a door, not just a crack, 
but a tremendous amount. I, I don't know if that answers or addresses your question. Absolutely. And I, I think that, you know, in this day and age, and, and obviously you can probably tell me the data on how much more anxiety and depression is showing on your, uh, your trending analysis from people that are coming forward. Um, but I, I think that leaders are people and people, we all can, can be along that spectrum, right? If you think about it, you know, you know, who hasn't, you know, like, likewise, like you, I don't have young children at home who hasn't been through deaths, who hasn't been through uh, separations, who hasn't been through uh, children leaving to go away to school, um, you know, conflict in families. These are normal, normal things. And I know in my uh, tenure, um, when I worked uh, with Morneau, 65% of people presenting um, where issues were related to relationships. And now we take that, that and we think of the last two years. And like you said, the pressure cooker, now home is work, work is home. The children are there. They're, they're all, you know, mom and dad are probably potentially working from different homes in their room, in, in rooms in their home, uh, plus, plus, plus. So what's happened to the data on relationships? Is it that we're not seeing anything yet? because everybody's been holding their breath and we're gonna see a spillover into this new abnormal, like you've called it. What, what are you seeing out there with the data with the companies that you serve? Well, let me give you a couple of basic things about, again, I'm talking about, so not all EAPs, and I, I really feel very strongly about this, are the same, right? Um, I'm talking about a, 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 a sort of a level of EAPs, top tier EAPs, not the ones that are embedded in insurance companies or disability carriers, uh, where, where it's important for a company to check the box. I'm talking about a very active EAP that's a full service EAP. And what we're seeing, I will tell you, we've done our own studies and there's actually a study that'll be coming out in a little bit. And I'm looking at my notes here because I don't want to lose track of it. But this, they, uh, this was an, they interviewed, this study interviewed 98 providers and purchasers of workplace mental health programs. And the EAP counselor clinical case rate has risen 41% over pre-pandemic times. Now, what does that mean? Yes, there's greater numbers of people that are struggling, but it also, I'd like to think, also means more people are availing themselves of these services. They're feeling more comfortable. Maybe it's because they have no choice. Maybe it's because leaders are starting to see the value of it. I'd like to think it's some combination of both. The other thing is the average number of sessions per case has gone up. It's gone up by almost 30% in the number of sessions. Wow. And most of those cases are, or at least start with relationship-based issues, right? So a lot of times what we see is people coming in and saying, you know, I'm feeling depressed, I'm feeling anxious, I'm stressed out. And when we do a little further questioning, what we find out is there's some issues with being home with their spouse or their partner, or there's some issues with, dealing with their family around who does the dishes. I know this sounds crazy, but you know what? Sometimes people don't do the dishes and one spouse becomes responsible for it. Those little things, it's not just the dishes, it's what the dishes really represent. So we're seeing that go up. We're seeing, um, we're seeing a greater increase, and this should not surprise anybody, in a request for and fulfillment of services for, you'll know this from your days at Morneau, work life, the traditional, especially childcare, but also elder care. And, you know, we, we, we need to touch on the fact that um, death and dying is occurring, and I don't want to be morbid, but in a very different way. And so more support is being provided 
for people who don't get to see their loved ones those last few days of their life and not only have to deal with that and not only have to deal with, um, you know, uh, not actually saying goodbye to people in person, but then having to go back and function in their home and in their workplace. So we're seeing an increase, a significant increase in the, in the request for and service delivery of these, these couples counseling cases. And again, I don't think that's gonna change. I really don't. Um, we're seeing things shut down a little bit more. I hope that changes. But again, the new abnormal, I think this is gonna be sort of an up and down thing for a long time. And by the way, I don't think we're gonna all return. It's not like one day we're gonna wake up and everybody's gonna go back to the workplace. Mm-hmm. That's not gonna happen. So leadership, and we do a lot of not just EAP, which is behavioral wellness and health. We also do a lot of organizational consulting and coaching. You do some of that yourself as well, Roxanne. So you know that leaders are now struggling to try and figure out how to navigate through this, how to be good leaders, how to keep this, you know, we talk about this, this magical term called culture. Well, how do we keep our culture going? How do we improve our culture? Um, in this past year, we've hired about 10 people. I've not met them yet. <laughs> the interview and onboarding process has occurred um, on Zoom. We're just starting to see those people and meet those people in, in person. What does that mean about establishing relationships with new people at work? Right, because of course, like, I mean, you think of any new kind of uh, job, you, you know, you're, I often say, you know, it's like about, is my, you know, you get your feet wet, where's the lunchroom, <laughs> who's on what team, yep. you know, where am I going to fit, where's my skills going to be recognized, you know, who's, a, who's in alignment with me, those types of things, and then you're kind of, you know, trying to kind of find the, the temperature of the organization. And uh, on a virtual end, you know, we're doing it, but it's, it's in a different contrived kind of way. Yep. Um, and you have the existing team that are need to incorporate these 10 people, but nobody's met in person. And you can do virtual meetups, but we know that it's not the same. How does that affect culture? And then in turn, if people are struggling, what if your newer people are struggling because they're trying to integrate in your older people potentially, or your tenured people have that synergy and the virtual people are trying to, they're trying to get on the carousel and they're trying to figure out how do I, how do I kind of blend without feeling I'm, you know, there's the new and the old. So there's a lot of other variables organizationally, like you're saying that didn't exist, um, say, you know, well, a couple of years ago, right? And let me add one thing, Rex, and you were talking about what do you tell leaders now? And I do believe it starts at leadership. If, if, if anything, if I can say one thing, if I can impart any wisdom in this, in this few minutes that we're together, it's that please, 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 I want to beseech leaders to take this seriously and think about not just sort of the remediation of these situations that are in trouble, but also what can you do proactively? So I'm going to give you another study. This came out in March. And this was done in, um, in, in the employee, this is uh, reported in the, um, in the EBN, which is the Employee Benefit News. And what they did was they looked at um, the difference between employers and employees on their opinions of workplace mental health. And it's really some interesting numbers, right? So they, they, they surveyed a number of people and employers, um, 94% of employers thought they were doing enough to support mental health. Only 69% of employees thought that. Now, okay, 30%, no big deal. No, that's a huge deal, right? Because that misperception is really a problem. Here's another one, last one. Employers, 70% of employers said 
that they're accepting of mental health challenges. The employees, though, had a very different perception of that. Only 35% felt that way. So I think what we're saying is that leaders have to close that gap. And realities and perceptions are, are really important. Perceptions, I've always believed, and I'm not trying to sound superficial, but perceptions are much more important than realities. So the job of a leader is to close that gap. I would love to see that 100% of employers think they're doing a great job and 100% of employees do. And, and the same thing is true with, uh, with being available for mental health. So, so you talked know, about some strategies and I, I like it. So if you have lived experience, if you've had, you know, like I say, normal things that would cause you to need to speak to someone to get that support, right? Um, I often say it starts, you said it starts with the leader, right? So we want, like, you know, I talk about authentic leadership. We want that leader to have an awareness that he or she is living their truth um, in this space, in this time around mental well being. So telling their story. What are some other steps that leaders could consider taking to, to create that more of that, that alignment with perceptions about uh, mental health and reality in some of these workplaces? I'm going to talk about these top tier EAPs and how important that is. EAPs are, are, have been a little, they've been beaten down a little bit. And that's because I think the partnership, EAPs in a vacuum don't do well. Nothing in a vacuum does well. It needs to be a partnership. So working with leadership and EAPs to really kind of develop, and it starts with a strategic approach to doing this. And in some cases, it's really about coaching the leaders on how to be comfortable with that. Or if they're not comfortable, which is fine, having other members of the leadership team talk about these things. But leaders have to show up. As you say, authentic leadership is about showing up. When I walk down the hall of my organization, I know that's that doesn't happen that often anymore, but when I walk down the hall of my organization, I know that people are watching me. And I may have just had something bad to eat that's giving me a little indigestion, but if I'm making faces, everybody is thinking that horrible things are happening. So being available, being there, showing up to work in an authentic way is really important. The other is figuring out ways to communicate with people not lie, not minimize, you know, being able to sort of stand up in front of a group and say, here's what's going on, to uh, react to questions in an honest, direct way. The worst thing you can do is overpromise something when, you know, uh, when you can't really give the right answer. That's not a good thing. It's always better to say, you know what, I don't know, but I'm going to find out. And then make sure you find out and get back to them. So creating a communications plan. Um, some kind of an employee engagement plan, right? So in our company, when this started, I don't even remember how many months ago, we instituted a 15 to 30 minute every other week town hall meeting for all of our employees. Some of those meetings are merely saying, everything's fine, nothing's going on. 15 minutes were in and out of there. They asked, it gave, gave people an opportunity to ask questions. Here's the irony. We never, in all of our history of perspectives, got a 95 to 100% participation. At these meetings, which are all Zoom, we were averaging 95 to 98%. People are interested, and they want to know that you're going to be able to talk to them as leaders, mm -hmm. and that they're going to be able to have access to you. The other thing is to try and figure out, in, in any way you can, to simulate activities that normally would occur in your workplace 
virtually. So how do you do that? We have virtual cocktail hours, right? We don't advocate drinking, but we do advocate getting together and everybody's in their home. Just, you know, and we break into breakout rooms. Is it perfect? Far from it. Uh, but we're keeping connected. We have, actually, we have a committee, a social committee that came up with a topic called the uh, water cooler um, meetings. And that's just basically where every week for about 15 minutes, people can sort of come to the water cooler, right? It's a digital or an electronic one. Um, we had a, a, a florist deliver to all of our employees um, these um, uh, terrariums. I don't have mine anymore because I have a black thumb. But they literally then, we took it out of the box. They had an expert florist teach us how to do it. It was a lot of fun. It was connected. So those kinds of things, mixing fun with the ability to share your feelings, some kind of a strategic re-entry or engagement plan, those are things that make a huge deal difference. Um, and the other is to really um, ensure that you're promoting mental wellness, mental health and wellness. I think part of the way to get out of this stigma of mental health is, especially now we're talking about it being national, uh, worldwide uh, suicide awareness day uh, tomorrow, is, is that um, you know we make it okay for people to talk about. There are so many misconceptions that if you talk about suicide, it will cause people to, to do it. That is not true. There's research that categorically shows that. In fact, the opposite is true, that it gives people more comfort to talk about it and they're more likely to get help. Same thing happens in general. So I, I just think dealing with mental health, mental wellness, we want a mentally fit workplace, a place where not where people aren't perfect, but where people feel comfortable not being perfect. You know, that, that old saying that's going around and I think it's wonderful is, we've got to train everybody in our organizations that it's okay to not be okay. Absolutely. And, you know, the thing is, I, I think if that's that permissiveness to, to discuss things, right? Like, you know, um, when you're going through change and we've been in flux, we, we're in rolling change, right? So yeah. let's talk about what's uncomfortable. Let's talk about what we're not doing well. What, you know, we're going to talk, we, yes, we can talk about the champions and who's done what, and, but what is it that you did kind of poorly that you learned from? And how could you share that to say, you know what I realized? Wow, you know, when I haven't slept, let's say, and how many people are having problems with sleeping right now? Absolutely. You know, what, what, how do I kind of take care of myself through the day, even though I've still got my eight, 10 hour day? How do I kind of, how am I, can I be gentle and kind, um, you know, to be able to say, well, you know, I'm going to maybe be off camera a little bit more, or maybe I'm going to, you know, have my meetings in quiet, I'm going to come back in and out. So just sharing those things, I think is so helpful. Um, and I think as the leader does that more, um, and that, you know, and they see when the leader says, you know, I've, I haven't had that kind of um, good week, and this is kind of what I've been doing just to care for myself. I always talk about is how is the leader showing or demonstrating his or her capacity to understand that I'm under massive pressure. Um, I generally am pretty good, but you know, what I, what I've learned this year or this month is, wow, I need to do this, this, and this a bit more, or this a bit less. And in that sharing, like you said, normalizing it, I think then people go, wow, the CEO just went through that. And he or she is sharing this. How amazing does that get? And that modeling and that, that, you know, sharing what people start to recognize is if, if I'm a human being and my CEO or my senior leaders are a human being and my manager is a normal person, 
it's okay for me to also share. This was such a great interview that we decided to turn it into a two-part series. Be sure to tune in next week for part two so you don't miss out on the amazing content. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhajcom slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.